Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. Good morning. It's awesome to see all of you here today. You know, the farther that you live, the longer that you live into the second half of your life. Uh, Before I go any farther, how many of you would think you're probably in the second half of your life? How many of you say, no way am I? (laughs) I don't think I'm in the second half, right? Well, whether we're not, here's the truth, that the longer we live into the second half of our lives, the more likely we are to be focused on protecting and preserving those things that we've accomplished and gained in life, right? And, and, and we might think, well, that's because we're older and wiser and more experienced, and, and there's a lot of truth to that. But what I want to challenge you with right now is that there, this, this tendency to protect and to preserve doesn't always jive with what Jesus has called us to do. You know, this tendency to protect and preserve as we go into this, the second half of our life, um, I think helps us to understand why in the culture that most significant changes in a culture, for good or for bad, most movements in a society are filled with younger people. Um, and by younger, I mean in the first half of their lives still. Uh, and they're filled with younger people because there's, there's this youthful zeal, right? And, and when this youthfulness is, is combined with what's true and right, man, that energy and the strength that comes from youth can accomplish amazing things. Well, when the church was just being formed right after Jesus' resurrection, there was a certain youthfulness to the church. And I'm not talking about the age of who was in it. I'm sure there were all ages in it. But the church itself had, had a youthfulness about it, had a, an excitement about it, had the strength of youthfulness in it, and a willingness to, to take risks that we aren't always in a hurry to want to take in our lives. You know, I see this in my own life. As, as we were worshiping here today, the, the, the Lord brought this to my mind. And I remember when, when Glenda and I, you know, we, we got married. I was 22. She was 18. And, and a year later, we left to go in the ministry. We left and moved to Bible college, uh, to a different place, no job, not knowing how we were going to make it. And, and we went through plenty of hard times, but God always showed himself faithful. And, and we grew and learned. And then through God's working, he brought us up here. And we moved up here with no job and, and we, you know, barely enough money to make it here, not knowing what light before us. And, but God was always faithful and worked and grew us. And, and, um, and that's no reflection. I'm not trying to say, oh, yeah, look at us, example. That's not the point. What I'm trying to say is that, that we were young and we believed God and we were willing to step out and go and do what we thought he wanted us to do. Even when there were uncertainties, even when there were risks from a human perspective, right? But I'm saying that that is tendency to be a characteristic of youthfulness. And, and the church, like I said, when it was first founded, had this. This youthfulness. 
And um, I think we would do well to recapture some of that youthfulness as a church. And again, I'm not talking about us as individually, but us as a church, this youthfulness about it. And, and so that's why we're in this sermon series. When the church was young, and we've already seen uh, that when the church was young, that they were obsessed with the news. They were obsessed with the good news, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And every sermon I try to at some point talk about the gospel. So let me do it right now, okay? But remind us that every one of us, we were, we were born with a sinful nature and we sinned against a holy God that separated us from God. It robbed us of spiritual life. If we were to die in that condition, we would be separated from God forever in hell. The good news is that God loved us. He knew us and he knew exactly what we were like. God loved us and sent his son into the world to be our savior. Jesus Christ lives a perfect, sinless life, dies on the cross. And as he dies on the cross, God the Father somehow puts the penalty for my sins on him and the penalty for your sins and the penalty for the sins of the whole world. He dies paying that penalty for us so that we wouldn't have to. Rises again from the dead. And the offer is to us that if we will acknowledge that truth of the gospel, that indeed we have sinned against the holy God, and we'll believe that Jesus is who he said he was and did what the Bible says he did. That we can place our faith in Jesus to be our savior. How many of you say, I've done that and it's a good thing, right? Man, where would we be without that? Okay, and so if you haven't done that and you're here or if, or if you're watching online and you haven't done that, we really encourage you to say to God, oh God, that's me. <laughs> that's me, that's where I'm at. I, I have sinned, I need, I, I believe, I trust Jesus as my savior. You know, make that decision today. If you have questions about it or things that you aren't sure about, talk to us. We'd love to help you with that. Change your life forever. <laughs> okay. So but they were, when they were young, they were obsessed with this news and with the gospel news. And, and then they were, uh, realized that they were meant for each other. That in the church, we, we are meant for each other. That, that Jesus in you and Jesus in me and, and we love each other and, and we're here together on purpose. That God is the one who's put together the church, right? He's the one who's, who's bringing us together. And they loved each other and they served each other. And then we saw that they were willing to eat some sacred cows, okay? In other words, they were willing to change. Willing to change things that needed to be changed, in order to be effective at what God had given them to do. And then last week we talked about their realization that when they met, Jesus was present. And they included him in the conversation. Okay, they were a house of prayer. It wasn't God somewhere out there that we talked to somehow said, no, he's here. And in fact, let's just right now, before I do, let me say, so I said last week that when the church meets, the church prays. That's a biblical perspective, okay? When the church meets, the church prays. Can you say that with me? When the church meets, the church prays. Let's try it again, a little more, a little more assurance. Ready? When the church meets, the church prays. That's right. Let's do that right now. Father, we do come to you and we thank you that you are present with us. Lord Jesus, that you are present here. You're not just present in me and present in these individuals, but somehow, some way, you are present in a very special way. And we aren't doing this separately from you, Lord. We're doing this with you. 
And uh, we desperately depended on you to work in our lives as, as we worship today. Worship now by looking to your word. And I pray that you challenge us. I pray that your spirit would enable us to understand and that you would speak to us individually about the things in our own lives so that we might respond in ways that would glorify you. Thank you. I pray it in, in your name. Amen. All right, so uh, this youthfulness that was in the church. Now, when Jesus was starting to form this church, he's calling, he called the apostles together and he's, he's beginning to teach them things. He, he taught them a principle or a concept that was going to affect them, whether they realized it or not. And the same thing is true for you and me. This principle that we're going to look at and talk about is, is something that will affect us whether we realize it or not. It does affect us. And it, it's related to the heart. Now, before we start talking about it, let's talk about the human heart, the physical heart that you have beating in your chest right now, okay? Amazing creation of God. And by the way, if you could stay the heart and say, oh, that happened all by accident, we need a course in logic, Okay. Um, but the human heart is probably just a little bit bigger than your fist, okay? If you think about it, that's what's in your heart, okay? Today, in a tw this 24-hour period, your heart will beat about 100,000 times, okay? In the course of your lifetime, that's about 3 billion times that your heart will beat. Now, with all the numbers we hear in the news today, you know, with trillions of dollars of, of debt and spending, all this kind of stuff, numbers kind of can get lost on us. But let me just help you understand what three billion numbers is like. If we took, if we took uh, dollar bills, okay, and we stacked them. Let's say we had all new ones, so they weren't crinkled, they weren't folded, and we stacked them one on top of the other. And we stacked three billion of them it would go just over, it would be over a little over 200 miles high. 37 Mount Everests. Okay? That's three billion. And that's how many times your heart will beat in your lifetime. A doctor's trying to describe the amount of blood that gets circulated, uh, say it like this, that if you were to turn, and I know people's pressures in their house is different, but the idea is turn on the kitchen faucet to full and let it run for 45 years. That's the amount of blood that your heart is circulating during that time. That's crazy, isn't it? Wow. Now, it shouldn't be any surprise to us then that the condition of our hearts, the physical heart, the condition of that heart affects so much. And it does. If your heart is good and healthy, you know, the t more than likely most of you is good and healthy. But if your heart is not healthy, then you have what? multiple other problems. It begins to create other problems and difficulties, okay? Now, so that term, this the idea of the human heart is then used symbolically for what we normally talk about the human heart, our soul heart, we might call it, right? It's, it's about what we love, what we're passionate about, uh, what's motivating us on the inside when we talk about that heart. It's just as true that that heart affects everything else in our lives. In fact, Proverbs 4.23, uh, we're um, given some wisdom. It says to protect your heart. Whatever you do, protect your heart because out of it come all the issues of life. Everything else is affected by the condition of your heart. 
All right? And so this principle that Jesus talks to the disciples about and which affects them whether they realize it or not and affects us whether we realize it or not has to do with our hearts. Okay, let's go to Matthew chapter 6. I think it's page 1117. Matthew chapter 6. This part of the Sermon on the Mount, uh, you know, Jesus has been talking about multiple issues and really challenging uh, the disciples about, really, the, even though he isn't using that terminology, he keeps kind of going back and saying, here's the heart of the matter. Here's what people think, here's what they do, but here's the heart of the issue, okay? And we get down here to verse number 21 in chapter 6, and he says this. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Wherever your treasure goes, your heart goes, all right? So let, let's say it like this two ways, I think. One is we can say that your money flows to where your heart goes, okay? But just as true is that your heart goes to where your money flows. Now, so I look at these statements and usually I ask you a question. I say, okay, here they are, which is it? And when I ask those kind of questions, what's usually the answer? Yeah, both, or yes. <laughs> Which is it? Yes, it's both of them, that's true. And so the reality here is that wherever your heart is, that's where your tendency is going to be to invest your treasures, your money, your possessions. Anything that's of value to is gonna follow your heart there. Now, what if you want your heart to be someplace that it isn't now? What should you do? Put your treasures there because where your treasure goes what that's where your heart is going to be and so what we see is that your treasures and your heart end up in the same place they end up in the same place okay let's go back up a couple of verses verse 19 and this is what he's saying to him he says do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. And so he's saying, where do you want your treasures to be? You want your treasures to be where you can lose them? Or do you want to be your treasures to be where you can never lose them? Well, let me ask you this. If for some reason or other you picked up on the ground the winning Mega Millions ticket or... Powerball ticket, whatever they are, name, right? And you just won, like last time, like $900 million. And you take the cash payout, and you get, what, $700 million or something? And you put it in the bank. Do you want to be in some place where you won't lose it? Right? Wouldn't you? You'd want it to be where you don't lose it, okay? I can't lose it. And now that's, there's no guarantees in this life about that. And that's what Jesus is saying. When, our, when we're building up our treasures here on earth, and this is not about whether you have money or not. This is not about whether you have wealth or not. It isn't about that. But the idea is if, if wow, it's about here and now, and I gotta get all I can get, and I gotta try to hold on to it, what does Jesus say? That stuff that you're trying to hold on to, what happens to it? There's always somebody or something out to get it from you. Always. I mean, to be honest with you, you may have a lot of money saved for retirement, 
Banff University, have you ever been a little bit concerned that all of a sudden they might change the laws and now that money isn't yours anymore? I mean, this is this world we live in, okay? If you try to hold on to it, Jesus says, you're holding on to things that can always be taken away. And by the way, they will be taken away the moment after you take your last breath, right? And so he says, don't invest your treasures here. Invest your treasures in heaven. How do we do that? We do that by investing our treasures in what God is doing here on earth because it has heavenly results, okay? And so think about this. If you hold on tightly to all this stuff because it's about the here and now, it can always be taken away. And if you don't want it to be taken away, give it away. That's what Jesus says, doesn't he? You give it away, and it can never be taken away from you. It's there in heaven and will be there forever. And I'm not saying there are going to be dollar bills in heaven, okay? Or gold, no, but there will be some sort of treasure that will be more valuable to us than anything we ever understood. And, and I just cannot believe that when I get there and you get there, we're going to look at what our reward is there in heaven and say, oh man, if I'd have known this, I'd have done more. Okay? All right. So Jesus says, you can choose. You've got to choose, the choose between you know, investing your treasures in heaven or investing them here. And, and, and so wherever your heart is, that's where those treasures are going to go. And, and if you want your heart to be on heavenly things, you've got to invest your treasure in heavenly things because your heart and your treasure are going to end up in the same place. Now, he also says that you've got to make a choice. Let's look in verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Mammon referring to the idea of all that you possess, your money and, and material things, whatever. It's, it's, it's all these treasures kind of things that we're talking about. And he says you can't do both. You can't do both. You're either going to serve God with that or you're going to serve something else with it. You gotta choose. You will choose. By the way, no choice is a choice. That makes sense? No choice is a choice, okay? But you have to choose. And and if you choose to serve God with your money and possessions, your treasures, if you choose to serve him with your treasures, they will serve you well. If you choose to serve anything else with your money and possessions, they will not serve you well. Okay, it will be a problem in your life, always. All right, so let's go to verse 33. But seek first, this is, he's kind of summarizing the whole thing, and here's the application. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. He's talking about their needs. He says, if you put God first, you know, you, you put your heart in heavenly things, you put your treasure in, in heavenly things, you, that's what's first, that's what's most important to you. God will take care of you. Okay? We want to invest our treasures. We want to put our heart in what God is doing. Invest our treasures in that. All right, so this is the teaching that they had. You know, it's just, as the church started, this was fresh in their minds. And so we see that one of the characteristics of the young church, when the church was young, about hearts and treasures. And you can see this very close connection in what's going on. In fact, let's look at a, a few examples of this. Let's go to the book of Acts, chapter 12. Chapter 12, verse 1. 
Chapter 12, no, chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, page 1255, and the Bible is there in the chairs. So let's look at some examples of what they did and how they did it. So verse 44, this is after Peter's preached this first sermon, 3,000 people have been saved. I talked to you about that last week, week four, I can't remember. But um, so they got saved, they were there from all over the world for a feast and they hung around. They didn't leave because this is big what God is doing here. And they, um, uh, so they, they were needs. And it says, now all who believe were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. And it's elaborated on over in chapter four. Let's go over there. Verse 32. Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. And with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them all. Nor was there anyone among them who lacked, for all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet, and they distributed to each as anyone had need. And Joseph, who was also named Barnabas by the apostles, which is translated son of encouragement, a Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. And they're introducing Barnabas to us, who's going to be a big part of the story going forward. But I want you to see, how, how does this happen? How does this work? Well, the way it worked is because these new believers, their hearts were where? Their hearts were in what God was doing. And God was the one who was bringing these people in. God was the one who was building his church. God was the one who had them on a mission. And that's where their heart was. And because their hearts were there, what else was there? Their money was there. Their resources were there. Okay? Uh, Acts, by the way, it, it's not like everybody in this church was perfect. Just like, like we aren't perfect in our church, all of us. And they had struggles. As we go into chapter 5, we find a, a couple who decided to play games with this and to lie about some things and try to make themselves look good. Didn't go well for them. But I want you to say that in the, in the process, Peter, in talking with this couple, it makes it clear to them that, look, your possessions are yours to make choices about. You can sell it or not sell it. You can give it or not give it. You can give part of it or all of it. It doesn't matter. Okay? It's in your control. And, and they had other issues, okay? They were there. But the idea, again, is since that is the case, if it is in my control in that sense, where's my heart? Where do I want my heart to be? Right? Because my treasure and my heart are going to end up in the same place. Okay. Go over to chapter 6. Now in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews, the, the Jewish Christians, by the Hellenists, by the Greek-speaking Christians, because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Now, uh, that's a whole other story, and I think we talked about that a little bit recently, but what I want you to see is that there was a daily distribution to the widows. Now, you know, widows in our day aren't, don't experience quite the same thing as these widows experienced. In their day, if you became a widow, you were basically, you had no income, you had maybe no place to live, you, you were needy, okay? And so what did the early church do? 
They, these people who couldn't care for themselves, the early church made sure they were cared for. There was a daily distribution. Well, where did that come from? Where did the daily distribution come from? From the church, the people of the church who, whose hearts were there and gave their money was available to, to meet this need in the daily distribution. All right, so let's, let's look on and see what else was going on. Let's go over to the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 4. The Apostle Paul does both some teaching and some uh, describing of what was going on in the early church here. When the church was young, what was happening? Verse 15 of chapter 4. We're on page 1351 in the Bible there in the chairs. Paul says, Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. For even at Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessity. So let's just stop there. What was going on? The, this, the church in Philippi, which was a poor church, as we will see in a little bit, they were a poor church, but they made a point whenever they could, like when they knew where he was or they had a way to get it to him, they sent money to the Apostle Paul. Why? So that he could continue to preach the gospel wherever the Lord was leading him. And by the way, this is, this is what we do with our missionaries. You understand, right? You know, you guys and I, we give to our missions fund and that money we send out every month to missionaries around the world so that they can keep preaching the gospel. But that's, they were doing that back in the very beginning. But look, something else that Paul talks about here, verse, six, verse 17. He says, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. That's an amazing thing. He says, oh, look, it's not, you know, it's not so much that I, I want the money or need the money that I'm encouraging you in your giving. I mean, he, do you need the money? Yes, but he knew God was going to take care of him. But he says, I want you to give because it's going to put fruit to your account. What does that mean? Well, what did Jesus say about where your heart is and you put your treasures there and... and, and if you put your, if your heart's on heavenly things, where does your treasure go? Where your heart is, the heavenly things, on your account. And so here we are, and once again, I'll pull out, you know, a, a dollar here. If so, those times in your life, and, and, and Glenda and I have been there, and, and some of you are, you know, like, wow, this dollar, this, this, this dollar means a lot to me, right? Because there aren't very many of them populating my... It, but the idea is I have a dollar also. I realize you know, a dollar won't really buy that much. Won't even buy you a cup of coffee unless you're over 65. Uh, so you know what? God, I wanna, I'm going to give this to missions. It's not much, I know. But I'm going to give it to missions. And, and you, you give it to the missions fund and, and the money goes out to the different missionaries we have around the world. And people get saved. People get saved because the missionaries are out there preaching the gospel. And somehow, some way, that dollar that you gave, there's fruit produced. People saved, Christians growing, churches being established, and God puts that on your account. Treasures in heaven. But see, your heart needs to be there, doesn't it? 
My heart is in these things. And that's what we see when the church was young, man. Their heart was in it. So let's continue. Verse 18, he says, Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus. That was the guy who came from Philippi. Having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. Man, you see what happens is when you put your heart in the things of God, the work of God, the mission that the Lord has entrusted, when your heart is there, your heart is the same place that God's heart is. And boy, that's a pleasing thing to him. What a great place to be. Verse 19, and my God shall supply all your need. Whose need? You who are giving to the work of God. My God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. God is going to meet your need, he's telling them. As you continue to be faithful and you put your heart in these things and you invest your treasures there in heavenly things, you're seeking first the kingdom of God. And he will do what? He'll provide these needs that you have. And so Paul here is echoing the teachings of Jesus. And so when the church was young, they understood this somehow, some way, maybe directly from the teaching. Let's go to uh, one more passage, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Now the setting for this situation is that by the time this is written, there has been a famine in the land of Israel. And so the Christians there in Israel are really having a, a hard time of it. And so the Christians around the world got news of this and they said, well, let's, let's take up a collection. Let's all send money from here all around the world, all these little churches, all these little places, but let's send money uh, back there to Israel to help them because they sent us the gospel. Let's help them here. Okay, so in chapter eight, verse one, he says, moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. All right. So he's talking to the Corinthians who are in what we would consider Greece here, um, the Achaia, and he's telling them about the Macedonians, what, what church is Philippi, the Thessalonians, those guys. He says, I want you to know the grace of God bestowed on those churches, that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing. The, the Philippian church, the Thessalonians, they were poor churches. They didn't have a lot of money. They weren't a church full of rich people, okay? And yet it says here, somehow or other, they were generous, this liberality. They were generous in their giving. They wanted to give. They were willing to give, and they were willing to give everything that they were able to give, and they were willing to give more. If God were to provide more, they were already willing to give it. Why? Because where's their heart? Their hearts are in the work of God, in the mission that he had entrusted to them, the needs at that time. Verse 4 imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. So the, the, the poor churches here, they wanted to give, and it wasn't just about giving the money out there, it was also about being part of what God was doing with the other Christians, right? The fellowshipping of the saints. I want to be a part of what God is doing. And so the idea here is if you, know, if, if you or I are giving to missions here, it isn't just you or I giving to missions. We're doing it, aren't we? I'm with you in this, and you're with me in this, and it's about fellowship as we serve the Lord together. Verse five, and not only as we had hoped, 
but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. These are hard issue things, aren't they? They first gave themselves to the Lord. What's that say up there? We surrender to the Lord. They first gave themselves to the Lord. Okay? And then everything else flowed out of that. See, you give yourself to the Lord, what are you doing? You're putting your heart in God's hands. Verse 6, so we urge Titus that as he had begun, so he would also complete this grace in you as well. But as you abound in everything, in faith, in speech, in, in knowledge, in all diligence, and in your love for us, see that you abound in this grace also. Man, there's so much we could talk about there, but, but two things I want you to see. First of all, this idea of giving generously. Giving generously um, is a work of God in your life. You can't do this in your own strength. It's, you, you do start with a surrender to the Lord. Okay, God, here I am. What do you want me to do? How does this work? Okay, it's a grace by that, but it's also, he said, as you abound in everything, how important is faith? In verse seven, how important is your faith? Do you need to grow in your faith? Yes. Does every Christian need to grow in their faith? Yes. Okay, yes, they do. Does every Christian need to grow in speech, learning how to talk as a Christian and say the right things, right? Okay, how, how, how about in knowledge? You need to learn things about what it means to be a Christian, what God is like and how you're, well, that's important, isn't it? And how about in being diligent in your Christian life, paying attention today and tomorrow and the next, right? Being diligent, is that important? Yes. Every Christian should be doing that. In your love, how about, are Christians supposed to love? Do we need to work on it sometimes? We need to work on it, it's important, it needs to be part of our lives. Then Paul says, see that you abound in this grace also. Christian generosity just as important as all these other things. Just as important part. Verse eight, I speak not by commandment, but I am testing the sincerity of your love by the diligence of others. Paul here says that our generosity will be an expression of love. It will show that we are sincere in our love. It's easy for me to say I love somebody and something, but if there's a, a financial need and I actually get in my pocket and give, right? That shows the sincerity of my love. Verse 9, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. Jesus gave up something so that we could gain something. And so when you and I give generously so that others may have a relationship with the Lord, so that others may grow, so maybe so that others can eat today, when we do that, we are in essence sort of like Jesus, aren't we? We're giving something up so that others can have something. Not only do we surrender to the Lord, we what? We grow to be like the Lord. If you want to grow to be like the Lord, one of the best things, not, it's not the only thing, by a long shot, one of the best things you can do is start learning to give generously. And that will shape you and help form Christ-likeness in you. Let's go over to chapter 9, verse 5. Paul says, therefore I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren to go to you ahead of time and prepare your generous gift beforehand, which you had previously promised that it may be ready, and here's what I want you to see, as a matter of generosity and not as a grudging obligation, okay? We're not talking about giving begrudgingly or, oh, I gotta give, or none like, forget that. Ah, don't do that, okay? That's what Paul says. No, 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 I want this to be just your free generosity. Verse six, but this I say, basically in verse five, he says you don't have to give, okay? 
because we don't want to begrudge him, but he says, but this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully, but if you, if you don't give, you're not going to reap anything. If you give a little, you reap. If you give a lot, you're going to reap a lot. It's going to be a great blessing to you. Verse 7, so he kind of says, here's the deal. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves the cheerful giver. So we have come back to what's the issue? Verse 7, so let each one give as he purposes where? In his heart. We're back to where Jesus talked, right? Verse 8, and God is able to make all grace abound toward you that you always having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work. Seek first the kingdom of God and he will add all these things to you. He will enable you to be Generous. So let's just do take a quick look at from that passage, and I'm not going to belabor these things, but let's look at seven truths then about Christian generosity that we just read. And the first one is this: it is Christian generosity is not based on your ability to give, but on your willingness to give. Okay. So if you want to be a generous person, if God is stirring your heart and you're saying, "I do want to be generous, but I don't have any money," don't worry about it. Purpose to be generous and ask God what to do. Okay, that's the key. Starts with your heart. All right, number two, it's always about more than money. It's about people. We already saw that. It's about joining with other believers who are doing the same thing. It's about ministering to believers. And it's about reaching people who don't know Jesus, okay? Number three, go ahead, yeah. It starts with first giving yourself to the Lord. And that's an issue you need to settle today, isn't it? If you've already settled this, you need to reaffirm it to yourself and to him today. Lord, I belong to you. I'm willing to do whatever you want me to do. Number four, it's always enabled by God's grace in your life. I said, don't, this is not about you and your great wisdom and your great strength and your great resources. I'm given. No, it isn't. It's, oh God, would you do this work through me? Lead me, show me, enable me. God's grace. It's a way to flesh out your sincere love for God and others. Number six, it's an expression of genuine Christ-likeness. Remember, that's what we saw. And then number seven, it always flows from the heart. It always flows from the heart. And so this is this issue that we've seen. It's all through this sermon. We've talked about the issue of the heart. And so when the church was young, their hearts were in the Lord's mission. So their money was too. It just... They went together. And, and they will go together. So the, my, my real challenging, encouraging, I hope inspiring question today is, is where is your heart? Where is your heart today? Because wherever your heart is, your treasure is going to flow there. And so if your heart is in the things of God, then you, you'll be giving it to God and however he leads you. If your heart isn't with the things of God, because you look, see, yeah, it isn't really, but it, it ought to be, I want it to be, well, then make a decision to do what? Start investing your treasures where you want your heart to be. And it'll change your perspective. I guarantee, like if, if you don't give regularly to the missions fund, if you were to start giving regularly to the missions fund, whether it's a dollar, five dollars, and that's what happens, your dollar, and then later I give five, and then later I give ten, and Wow, I'm going to give 50, whatever. And you're giving. It will change your perspective on missions. Your heart will be in that. 
And, and when, when I get to post a letter from missionaries on our prayer page, you go, oh, wow, this is cool, you know, you're part of it. Where's your heart today? And let me say this. Um, well, let's, let me, before I do. So when the church was young, hearts and treasures were evident. Okay, and that's one of the qualities. Go ahead and that slide if you would. That's one of the qualities that we want to regain or recapture. Um, and I want to say thank you. Thank you so much to so many of you. And I, I don't know who gives what, or I don't know that. But I do know that there are many, many of you here whose hearts have been in the, the work of God for many years. And you have given generously. And, and, you know, I know that has brought great benefits in your life and will in eternity. And I, I just encourage you to double down on it in your life and say, wow, where's my heart? And, and, and this youthfulness, right? You know, at, at my age and some of you, now those of you who are young, you know, just ignore what I'm saying. You just go for it. <laughs> but those of us who are old, you know, sometimes we need to think, wait a minute. I got kind of comfortable here. God, is there some way you want to stir me to put me back on that track of, yes, I will go anywhere. I will do anything. I'm totally surrendered to you. Fully devoted, right? To Christ. And, and ask God to put you back on that track if you've kind of just got in a comfortable rut. And if you're here today and, and, and you haven't been investing your treasure in the things of God and you think about it, you think, where is my heart? What is my heart going into? Because where is my treasures going? And, and God, I want my heart to be where you want it to be. Okay, God, help me to know. How do I do this? And then you begin to invest your treasures into the work of God. Amen. I guarantee you, I promise you, you will never, ever regret it forever. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this wonderful picture in the scripture of how people's hearts were um, in line with you and given over to you and to your work and to the, the brothers and sisters in Christ and to the lost who need to know you. Uh, their hearts were there, Lord, and so their treasures were there. They gave freely of their money and their possessions. And, and not only did they give what they were able to, they were ready and willing to give more and Father, I pray that that would characterize us. I pray that you would stir our hearts, that you would turn our hearts in, in the proper direction. And Lord, if our hearts are already there and in that direction, that you'd strengthen us in it. And oh God, that we would be a church who it's very clear, if someone were to look, they could see where our hearts are and by where our treasures are. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If I encourage you one thing this week, go out and think, how can I be a generous person this week? What does God want me to do to be generous? Wherever that is, however that is, okay? Go do it.